Welcome back, welcome back and everyone to another episode here with the Noah's Ark of Sports podcast. I'm your host, Noah Dunlap. I hope all of you are having great weeks out there. Um, Coming to you on this Friday afternoon. Got a few things to talk about. Shouldn't be that long of a show today. Um, Like I say, I got a few things to talk about. Going to talk about Thursday night football last night and the Tua situation. And then going to give out gambling picks for this week as well. You know, try to make y'all some money this weekend. We got 13 of them this week yet again. We're sitting at just over 56% on the year so far on the gambling picks. Not bad, not great, but not terrible. I promise you though, we're getting better. We're trending in the right direction after a rough start for the first two or three weeks or so. Things have kind of been looking up over the past two weeks, give or take. So with that, we're going to ride these gambling picks off into just making massive amounts of money this weekend. So don't miss out on those. Don't fade those picks. Got those coming up at the end of the show today. Now, before we get to all of that, though, let's go ahead and talk Thursday night football. What we saw last night in the game between the Miami Dolphins and the Cincinnati Bengals. It um, was certainly lower scoring than I think a lot of people expected, but I don't know that it was a more surprising game, if that makes sense. Um, I actually, one of my bets that I put down this week was I had the over at 46 and a half, I think is where I got it at. And I was pretty confident in that because we're talking a Bengals offense that's good if the offensive line plays well. We're talking a Bengals defense that is a little shaky at times. And on the other side, we're talking a Miami Dolphins offense that is really good and a defense that is quite shaky. To me, that just equaled out to points, and that's what I was expecting. And instead, what we got was not all that many points. Lots of yards, but not all that many points. It honestly looked like both teams were allergic to scoring touchdowns. The number of drives that got down into the red zone that ended in field goals was astounding. I think the number ended at 42 is what the total ended at. Um, I needed five more points to get the win there, and instead we couldn't do it. Literally, I needed two of the five or six field goals that were kicked in the game. I needed two of those to be touchdowns, and that would have been an easy win. Um, I could have used one more touchdown and one more field goal as the guy from the kicker from Miami. I know, I believe he may have missed one along the way. So just a rough go of it there. Um, Cincinnati sneaking away with the win. Apart from the fact that the two offenses looked like they were just, like I said, allergic to the end zones after the first drive of the game, it was a good football game. It was close. It was back and forth. 
Um, you saw T. Higgins have a pretty good day. Tyreek Hill didn't score a touchdown, but he had a pretty good day as well. Joe Mixon was at, I think it was 11 carries a quarter into the game virtually. Like 17 minutes into the game, Joe Mixon had already carried the ball like 11 times, I think it was. So he was tearing up yards on the ground there. I just, it's one of the weird ones where this Cincinnati team, you never know what you're getting week in and week out. And the reason I say that is if this Cincinnati offensive line plays well, this Bengals team is going to be hard to beat. They just are. The defense looks a little better. The defense certainly isn't great, but they're a little better. You have Joe Burrow in the backfield under center. You have Joe Mixon in the backfield. You have uh, Jamar Chase out wide. You have T. Higgins out wide. I mean, it is a loaded offense. The question literally begins and ends with that offensive line. They have been... I think for if you were to ask virtually anyone, they've been arguably the worst offensive line in football over the past year and a half now. If they can fix that problem, number one, they would have won the Super Bowl last year. Number two, I think they would potentially be a favorite to win the Super Bowl this year as well. So this game went kind of how I expected it to. I know there were a lot of people who went with the Dolphins on the money line. I didn't like that. I thought this was a game Cincinnati wins. Um, I thought that all week. I thought it was going to be reasonably close, but I also thought it was going to be higher scoring than it was. Ended up not being. That's the takeaway from the game itself. Now, let's get to the most important part of what we saw last night, which was the Tua Tagovailoa injury. We all know what I'm talking about. Um, Tua was carted off the field on a stretcher after sustaining what is very clearly a concussion and potentially a neck injury as well. It, I will tell you, it was one of the most terrifying things I have ever seen on a football field. And First off, I want to address the fact that Amazon, as Thursday Night Football is now being streamed on Amazon uh, Prime Video, I want to address the fact that Amazon decided to run that replay five or six times, I guess it was. It was terrifying. As soon as Tua's head hits the ground, you literally see his, his hands lock up his fingers are all like twisted and stuff. It's, I love the sport of football, but it was tremendously hard to watch. And the notion that Amazon and the people running the production of the game last night decided to run that replay so many times is honestly disgusting. It's terrible. Now, the good news here. It looks as if Tua is going to be okay, um, at least from a health standpoint. He flew back with the team last night. He is moving all of his extremities. Um, they say he is conscious. He's doing okay now. 
that's all great. That being said, I don't know that Tua Tagovailoa can play football again this year. I know it's only week three, I get week four maybe it is. Uh, week four, as the Bengals are now two and two. I know it's only um, week four, but what you saw from Tua last night with that injury, I just, when it comes to concussions, when it comes to player safety to that degree with what we saw last night, I think it is more important to be cautious than it is to try to rush him out. And I know we will get to the injury from Sunday in just a second. But the thing that I always go back to with this Tua situation is it's not like the Dolphins don't have a backup quarterback, if that makes any sense. They're not throwing Nathan Peterman out as their backup quarterback. They have Teddy Bridgewater as their backup. Teddy Bridgewater could start in a lot of places in the NFL. So it's not like the world ends if Tua isn't playing. I mean, you look at last night. Teddy Bridgewater didn't have a terrible game last night. It wasn't great. It was his first action of the year, I believe. Uh, well, apart from the brief stint that Tua missed last year. But with that being said, Teddy Bridgewater didn't play terrible football. Teddy Bridgewater is certainly an adequate quarterback in the NFL when he's healthy. So I don't, to me, it's not the end of the world if the Dolphins have to sit Tua for the rest of this year and basically let everything let everything heal. Let your spine, let your back, let your head. Give him nearly a full year to recover from all of this. Come back next year and let's start over. Because the other thing that we, like I said, we I told you we would talk about it. Let's get to that now, which is the injury from Sunday. I talked about it earlier in the week. It, you know, it reared its ugly head again last night with the newest injury and everything else, which was the concussion that Tua suffered, it looked like, last week. The Dolphins decided to say it was a back injury that his back just locked up. It wasn't a concussion. It certainly looked like a concussion. We all agree. Now, could it have been a back issue too? For sure. I think we've, if you've ever had your back, your neck, anything like that lock up, things things get a little wobbly on you. So, I mean, I can certainly understand the argument that it was potentially his back too. But that being said, I think we all agree that there is virtually a 100% chance that it involved some type of concussion along the way which brings the Dolphins under fire for the concussion protocol. The fact that Tua was able to enter the game again last week and be able to play this week. And that's where I want to take this. Where I want to take this is everyone wants to talk about, oh, it's disgusting that 
Tua played last night when you saw the concussion that he had last week on Sunday. That's true. However, they're trying to say the Dolphins lied, that there was some massive cover-up here that is the reason Tua was playing. I honestly don't believe that because, like I said, my issue here is it's not like we're talking about a franchise that doesn't have a quarterback, a backup quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater is certainly a pretty good, one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league, if not the best. So I don't think the Dolphins are in a situation here where they're having to cover any type of thing up if that makes sense. I don't think we're looking at a cover-up of a situation here. I think we're looking at a bad decision from your uh, your medical staff. Um, I think you're probably looking at a bad decision from Tua himself because I guarantee you that Tua wanted to go back in the game last week. Tua wanted to play in this game last night where the fact is is that I don't even care if it wasn't a concussion from last week. Even if it was a back injury, with the way he was like wobbly after the hit that he took, I wouldn't have played him this week. Concussion, no concussion, whatever the issue is, clearly we saw on that play that there was something wrong. I would not have played him this week. I know he wants to play. He's going to argue, and maybe he lies and says, hey, I'm fine, it, it is what it is. But I think as a coaching staff, as a medical staff in that situation, my answer would be take one week off. It's a short week. We don't want to risk anything. We'll get back to it next week. That would be my answer. The Dolphins went a different way. And like I said, I'm not here to argue and try to say the Dolphins are covering things up. I really don't think they are. I think it's a bad decision. I think, could you look at it and potentially call it negligence, if you will? Yes. Could someone potentially get fired off of this? Yes. Could someone get sued off of this? Maybe. I think that's a stretch. But like I said, the the Twitter mob, the social media mob who have come out and just decided already that this was some type of cover-up, this was some terrible, I just, I can't buy into that. I saw Stephen A. Smith on, I guess it was first take this morning, basically coming out insisting that someone had to be fired. Why is my question. Why? And the reason I ask that question is this is a violent sport. This isn't baseball. This isn't basketball. The NFL is a very violent, uh, a violent league. Football itself is a very violent game. It's a violent sport. Bad things happen. For all we know, what happened last week on Sunday had nothing to do with what happened last night. There is no way to know. Does that make sense? There is no surefire way to know that what happened on Sunday contributed to what happened last night. Tua could have been perfectly healthy coming into this football game, take one hit, and you end up in the same situation. We see it all the time. So the notion that we're trying to argue that someone has to be fired, I can't get behind that. I don't like that notion. I don't like that argument. I never have. I never will. 
not with something like this. You want to know what I think the bigger issue is? To me, the bigger issue isn't the Miami Dolphins. It's not their coaching staff. It's not their, uh, their medical staff. It's not Tua himself. The bigger issue is the NFL. The bigger issue is the fact that this Thursday night window didn't used to be there. We have the most violent sport in the world. The most violent league in the world. There are teams playing on a Sunday afternoon and then coming back and playing again Thursday night. You cannot have a short week like that. I'm sorry, not in this sport. Cannot happen. Because you just increased greatly the chance that something like this happens. And when you look at Thursday night games as a whole, look at Thursday night games as a whole in terms of everything we've seen. They're so bad. The teams don't look all that interested. A lot of times the it looks like the game plan just isn't there. It's not as effective as it would be on a Sunday. It's just everything about it just seems a little off most of the time on Thursday nights. And I think a lot of that is due to the short week, due to the fact there that you have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, boom, we're playing on Thursday. That's insane. This, to me, is an NFL problem. This isn't a Miami Dolphins problem. This isn't a Tua problem. This isn't anything like that. This is an NFL problem, and it starts to me, and it ends to me, with the fact that we have teams playing on Sunday and then playing on Thursday. It makes no sense. You wanted to go Sunday and Saturday? We can make that argument because it's basically a week. That's another two full days. Sunday to Sunday, easy. Sunday to Monday, easy. Monday to Sunday, I'll take that. That's fine because, again, it's basically it's six days. You get two more days from what we just saw with the Bengals and the Dolphins last night. That's the reason I hate Thursday night football. As much as I love the sport of football, I do not think we should have games on Thursday night. That's just me. Some people will argue, but if we re- really – legitimately care about player health and player safety instead of looking at the Dolphins coaching staff the medical staff look at the NFL look at the fact that all they are doing is chasing money with this Thursday night game that's all this is they claim to care about player health player safety but in reality they do not because if they did you would remove Thursday night football it would never be a thing other than potentially week one. Week one, you can have that opening Thursday night game. That's fine because you've, you've had a full off season. But after that, you would never have another Thursday night game. Wouldn't be a thing. Not ever. If the NFL legitimately cared. But instead, the NFL is all about money. They are all about dollar signs. That's all they see. This Tua injury, to me, falls more on the NFL than it does the Miami Dolphins themselves. So 
happy to hear that two is doing better happy to hear that he is moving all his extremities that he is conscious um here's to hoping he has a full recovery coming soon and here's to hoping that maybe he gets back on a football field we don't know i think that's the least important situation the least important topic to come from what we saw last night is whether or not he actually gets back on the field at all and when that is because regardless whether he does or doesn't it can't be soon after everything that we've seen from him over the past week what five six days now it can't be soon even if he does get back on the football field but like I said all of that comes second to the fact that it is good news to hear that he is conscious, he's moving, and he seems to be in good spirits. That's the most important thing. Glad to hear that is the thing. Now, moving on, another quick story before we get to the gambling picks and round out the show today. Dawn Staley. I know I've talked about this story a little bit. Dawn Staley, South Carolina uh, women's basketball head coach. Um She's the coach that virtually single-handedly made the decision to end the home-and-home series with BYU um, this year over the supposed racism incident at BYU with the Duke volleyball player at a volleyball match out in Provo earlier, what, I guess it was back in August maybe. Um I've covered that multiple times, and I mentioned I was one of the first people that I ever heard to address the fact that it never happened. Everyone just bought hook, line, and sinker into the notion that, hey, this had to have happened, and my answer was, we literally have no evidence. No one, no witness, no security guard heard, no one else heard. The only people corroborating this are the girl's family, and they weren't even there. So I said immediately, as soon as this broke, my answer was, this never happened. This just sounds like a fishy situation all the way around. People looked at me like I was crazy. People were like, what What do you mean? Of course it happened. And I was like, then show me the evidence. And there's nothing. And finally, it seems like everyone else has kind of climbed on board with the notion that, hey, we literally have not a shred of evidence that this happened at all. This sounds like another... Um, what's the word we're looking for? Race-based hoax, if you will. That's honestly what it sounds like. That's what it certainly seems like it is. Um, well, regardless of all of that, Dawn Staley, almost as soon as it happened, came out and decided that South Carolina would not be playing a home-and-home with BYU because she, quote, didn't want to put her players in a dangerous situation, in an uncomfortable situation. Now, I have no idea what that means. Provo is not a bad place at all. It just isn't anyone that tells you otherwise is simply lying through their teeth. Provo, not a bad place, not a dangerous place, not an uncomfortable place. I'm sorry, it's not. But of course, because we have a made-up situation here, um, Dawn Staley, who has been all about situations like this in the past, if you've paid attention at all, you know what I'm talking about. Dawn Staley reacted out of emotion instead of logic, decided not to do any research, decided not to, you know, investigate things herself, 
simply bought into the story without actually thinking. And now that it's virtually been proven that this never happened, someone actually asked Staley this week, basically, about the decision to pull the BYU series. Basically, would she be willing to apologize and basically walk back her comments about all of that now that it seems like um, now that it seems like that never happened. And instead of doing what you could have done and walked back your walked back her comments, she decided to double down with one of the most insane arguments I have ever seen. Dawn Staley's argument for why she wasn't going to either apologize or simply walk back her comments was because the girl from Duke is standing by her story. And as long as the girl from Duke is standing by her story, then there's nothing to talk about here. That is one of the most insane, brain-dead arguments I have ever seen in my life. The reason I say that Of course the girl from Duke is going to stand by her story. She's the one that started it. I mean, think about that. Think about the notion that a, a volleyball player comes out and accuses a BYU fan of some racial slur. There's no evidence. There's no evidence anywhere. No proof that this happened. The media, at least sane, rational media, come out slowly and begin to realize, wait, maybe this never happened. The girl who started all of this only has two options. She can either come out and admit and acknowledge, hey, this never happened, I made it up. Or she can simply try to slide up under the radar with everything and pretend like, eh, we'll be okay. And maybe it just goes away. Well, if the media isn't going to hound her about the fact that she simply lied, then of course she's just going to try to glide this out, if you will, ride this out under the radar and maybe it goes away eventually. She never has to come out and acknowledge that she lies. She can continue to say, yes, it happened, even though there's no evidence. And that's where we are. And that's exactly what we're seeing right now. So, of course, she's not going to come out and say, hey, I made this up. That would make no sense. That would be pointless. It would be the moral and the ethical thing to do. But eh, we've seen society these days. What do you really expect? So, of course, she's not going to do that. So, for Dawn Staley to literally double down on her comments because of the fact that the girl from Duke hasn't come out and said she made it up or this didn't happen is insane. Now, Staley said if that ever happens, she would potentially look at her at changing her tune and potentially come out with a statement then. But until that happens, then She has no choice but to believe that it happened. That's insane. That is absolute loony stuff. But it's Dawn Staley. We're used to it by now. The fact is, is that if you've paid attention, like I said, to anything with Dawn Staley over the past couple years off the court, you're used to this because it doesn't have to make sense. And this one, 
like I said, one of the most brain-dead answers I've ever seen in terms of giving a reason for why she was going to... Um, she wasn't going to walk back comments at all. It's just, you can't make this stuff up. Just absolutely, hilariously dumb comment there from Dawn Staley. Um, that covers that. And now, as we wrap up the show today, I want to go ahead and, as promised, give you all the gambling picks for the week as we round out the show, um, round out the week, and go from there. So, gambling picks, like I said, we are sitting at just over 56% on the year so far, doing okay, not terrible, not great, um, basically breaking even as far as it goes with where we are. Um, well, that's changing this week. Look for a 13-0 and week this week. Okay, actually, let's be totally honest here. If we can get 11-2 and or 10-3, and that's a great week in terms of gambling. 13-0 um, and 0 would be spectacular. It would be phenomenal. Maybe it happens. Don't bet on it, though. But like I said, we are trending in the right direction. Everything seems to be going in the right direction. So don't fade the picks. Buy into the picks. Make yourself some money this weekend by doing nothing more than placing a couple bets. It's that easy. It's that simple. So with all of that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into these picks real quick. Starting with Georgia State at Army. I'm going Army at... Um, at minus eight. Army has, they've had a rough start to the year so far. They lost two close ones to open the year against UTSA and Coastal Carolina. Came back two weeks ago, destroyed Villanova. They had an off week last week. I think that off week does them some good. They're playing an okay Georgia State team this week, but it's at West Point. It's at home for Army. Coming off the bye week, I think the um, the Black Knights just roll. So give me Army at minus eight. Kentucky at Ole Miss. I'm taking Ole Miss on the money line. Uh, this game could go either way. Kentucky is getting their starting running back um, back. He's been out for the first, what, four or five games of the year, I guess four games of the year, that Chris Rodriguez, I believe is his name, has missed due to some type of suspension. He is now back this week. Not sure how that's going to play an impact in this game. And the reason I say that is the fact that Kentucky's offensive line hasn't looked great. So getting Rodriguez back is going to be good. But it's not going to matter if they can't protect, if they can't open running lanes. So I'm not sure how good this Kentucky offensive line holds up. But on the same, with the same token, if you will, I'm not sure about this Ole Miss secondary yet. I'm not sold on Will Levis being a really good quarterback. I know a lot of other people are. But even if he isn't, I just I don't know that this Ole Miss secondary is going to be able to stop much. So this is going to be a situation where I think this game ends up being won and lost on the line up front. If Ole Miss can get good pressure, I think they win. If they can't, then I think this ends up being a slightly higher scoring game and Kentucky may get the win. Um, like I say, it goes either way. I think we're in a situation where we're going to see some mistakes in this game. You could see two or three turnovers easy. And in the end, 
a game that could go either way. There's been a lot of talk about the Ole Miss student section, the Ole Miss fans just not showing up for games so far this year. I think that changes tomorrow. SEC Nation is going to be here in Oxford. They will be at the game. I will actually be at the Grove tomorrow morning. So if y'all are out at the Grove hanging out, come say hey to me. Um, I'll be hanging out there enjoying my time down here in Oxford for a really good football game. Should be. But like I said, all that being said, give me Ole Miss on the money line. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be tight. But I'm going to take Ole Miss to at least win the game outright. But maybe not cover the touchdown that they are being given. Purdue at Minnesota. Give me Minnesota minus 12. Minnesota right now actually looks like one of the better teams in the country. They haven't played a tough schedule, but they are absolutely dominating people. They are destroying people, making it look easy. Look for that to continue at home this week. Um, Raheem Ibrahim, I believe, is the running back's name. He's had a monstrous year so far. I think that continues against a bit of a shaky Purdue team. They're not a bad Purdue team, but they have looked a little shaky at times this year. So give me Minnesota to continue to row the boat up in Minneapolis. P.J. Fleck and the Golden Gophers get the big-time win. Minnesota, minus 12, row the boat indeed. Uh, Oregon State at Utah, I'm going under 54.5. The reason I'm going with under 54 Oregon State just played USC last week at home in Corvallis. The final score was 17 to 14. USC, I think, has a better offense than Utah does. USC has a better offense than Oregon State does. So if that ball game between those two teams only gets us to 31, I think we're going to get more than 31 here. Um, I could easily see a um, 28-21 kind of ball game. Maybe we get 28-24 if it's close. But even at 28-24, that's only 52, which is under the 54.5. I think Utah wins with it being um, out in Salt Lake City. But... Oregon State, they're trending in the right direction. They are certainly a better football team than we've seen from them in the past. They should have beat USC last week. The game got away from them late. But none of that matters because the fact is we're not worried about the spread. We're not worried about who wins. Like I said, give me 28-24, 27-24, something along those lines. I think this hits right around 52 or so. I don't think we get to the 54 and a half. So the under is going to hit and we can walk away with a win there. Alabama at Arkansas. This line seems a little high. The line is currently Alabama at minus 17 and a half. I don't trust that. I think they cover. But I don't trust that enough to actually put that down as an official pick. So we're going to avoid the spread. I think Alabama wins, but there's not enough value on the money line to make that worthwhile. So instead, go under 61. This feels like a 38-21 kind of ball game. 
Alabama getting a win, 35-21, something along those lines. Both of those end up in the high 50s, but we don't quite reach the 61 number. Um, if it were to get out of hand and Alabama were to roll, we could get 42-10, we could get 45 or 49-10. I don't think that's likely, but either way, even if that ends up happening, again, it gets us under the 61 number. So instead of worrying about the spread, instead of taking bad value on the Alabama money line, just worry about the under. We're going under 61. That's another win. Iowa State at Kansas. I've got Kansas at plus three. The Jazzy Jayhawks are still undefeated this year. They beat undefeated Duke last week. They are now 4-0. This game is in Lawrence, Kansas. Iowa State, they're decent. They're not great. This isn't one of the better Matt Campbell-led Cyclone teams that we've seen. With this game being in Lawrence, I don't know that Kansas wins outright. They might, but I certainly think it ends up being close. I think we're looking at a field goal game either way, which at plus three, if Kansas gets the win, you win. As long as it stays within a field goal, you win, or it gets voided as a push. Take that. Take that. I... Right now, the Kansas quarterback, his name is escaping me. He looks like a potential Heisman candidate. Now, I think Kansas is going to fade eventually. But right now, with the success that he's having, I like that success to continue for right now. Like I said, they may not win, but look for the Jazzy Jayhawks to at least keep it within a field goal. That gets us the plus three. It's in Lawrence. That's easy. Take Kansas with the plus three. Wake Forest at Florida State, this game, don't overthink it. Wake Forest always goes over. They have no defense. They have a tremendous offense. I like that to continue here. Over 50, uh, not 56, over 66. Yes, it's a high number. That's okay. We're going 42-38 in this ballgame. We're going 45-42 in this ballgame. That's what we're looking at. We don't care who wins. We don't care about the spread. We care about the total. We're absolutely going over 66. Get that one in immediately. Texas A&M at Mississippi State. I know A&M has looked a little better lately. They beat Miami two weeks ago. They snuck away with a win over Arkansas last week in a game that they honestly should have lost. Now they go down to Starkville, um, hostile environment with the Cowbells down there. And a pretty good Mississippi State team. Mississippi State has looked really good this year, apart from one half of football, the second half against um, LSU down in Baton Rouge. Apart from that, the Bulldogs are rolling. They've looked good. Will Rogers looks really good. I think that continues here. I think this is going to end up being relatively close. But give me Mississippi State. Give me the home field advantage down there at Davis Wade. I don't know what the score ends up being. I don't know how close it is. I think the spread is Mississippi State at minus three or three and a half. I don't trust that. It may be another really close ball game, but either way, I think the Bulldogs come out on top. Take the value you can right there. Take Mississippi State on the money line. NC State at Clemson. 
this might be the best game of the weekend. It's supposed to get ugly for this game on Saturday night. Hurricane Ian sliding back through. Um, windy conditions possible. Rainy conditions almost certain. This game just feels like it's going to be ugly. If the wind becomes a real factor, I think we're going to end up with a lower scoring ball game than a lot of people expect. And while Clemson may get the win, I think this NC State team is better than a lot of people are looking at. I think the defense is solid. I think the defense has the chance to at least slow down Clemson's offense, especially if we get bad conditions here. Now, I don't know if um, I don't know if NC State can score at all, but in a low-scoring game. Uh, this feels like the kind of game that NC State might sneak away with, depending on what the weather conditions look like. So assuming we're looking at rain, assuming we're looking at a little bit of wind, give me NC State at plus seven. They're giving you a touchdown. And Clemson may win, but if Clemson wins, I see a 17-13 kind of game. Could be, depending on how bad the conditions are, 28-24 is another one if the conditions are a little better. You know what all of that equals? All of that equals NC State getting the plus seven. If you want to be real gutsy, take NC State outright. I'm not going to tell you to, but if you're feeling pretty lucky this weekend, that would be one to sprinkle just a touch on for the Wolfpack to get the win outright. But as it is, give me NC State plus seven to get the cover. Georgia at Missouri, don't even overthink this. Georgia minus 29. This is a Georgia team that played dead against Kent State last week. Kirby Smart has had a full week to just blast his team over that performance. Missouri is the worst team in the SEC, and I don't know that it's all that close. And just to throw everything on, as I mentioned earlier in the week, I actually picked up a speeding ticket up in Missouri this past week with that being said screw the state of Missouri I passed through Columbia not a great place if we're going to be honest not a great town screw Columbia screw Missouri take Georgia big I'm looking 49-10 here 49-7 something like that the 29 stands no chance Georgia minus 29 at Missouri Michigan at Iowa give me the under 42 this game bothers me just a little bit, but the fact is, is that we've come pretty accustomed to Jim Harbaugh having one game a year that his team just doesn't necessarily play well. This could be it. They're going to Kinnick Stadium up in Iowa City. Um, it's a weird place to play. It's a tough place to play. Iowa's offense is atrocious. Their defense, really solid. To me, what that means is we're either going to get a really low-scoring close ball game or we're going to get a Michigan win in a major way. But even a Michigan win in a major way, I don't know, is going to get us over the 42. I think a 31-0, a 31-7 kind of game could break out, which even if that's the case, that still gets us under 40. So I don't think Iowa's offense is going to be able to score more than about 14. And 
if Iowa's offense scores 14, I don't think Michigan is going to score um, 28 in that situation. Give me the under 42. We're taking chances there, but hey, that's what gambling is. That's what sports gambling is. Take a chance here. It's a low number, but give me Michigan at Iowa under 42. Oklahoma State at Baylor. This game is a toss-up. No one knows. It's in Waco. I like Dave Aranda. Give me Baylor on the money line. I wish I could give you more of a, a more of a rationale, more of a reason for why I'm picking that one. I can't. I like Dave Aranda. Waco's an interesting place. It's an odd place to play. I think it ends up being close. I think it ends up being tight. Baylor gets the win. It's going to be close. It's probably going to be ugly. I don't worry about the spread. I don't worry about the over. I don't worry about the under. Just take the Bears to win the football game. That's all we care about. Baylor on the money line there. Lastly, Arizona State at USC. Give me USC minus 24 and a half. Arizona State fired Herm Edwards two weeks ago. Um, They're an absolutely abysmal football team. They are atrocious. USC didn't have a great game last week against Oregon State. I think Lincoln Riley brings Caleb Williams and company back down to L.A. this weekend. Um, And I expect the Trojans offense to roll against a really bad Arizona State team. I think the Trojan offense takes out some frustration along the way with their performance from last week. Lincoln Riley, like I said, certainly not going to be happy with what he saw last week. They did sneak away with the win. And being back at home, yes, I know it's it's a mausoleum out there at the Coliseum in L.A., but nonetheless, it's a weird type of home field advantage, if you will. Arizona State is atrocious. USC going to roll in a major way. Give me 45-10, 45-14, something like that being the final of that ball game. All of that is greater than 24.5. So take the USC Trojans minus 24.5 at home over Arizona State. That's going to do it for the show today. That's going to do it for the gambling picks for this week. Like I said, go get those picks in early. Make sure you do not fade the picks. We are trending in the right direction things looking up for us here with the arc of sports gambling picks thank you for listening to the show i love you guys my name noah dunlap i'm the host here at the noah's arc of sports podcast like i said thank you guys so much if you happen to be in oxford this week come check me out at the grove tomorrow i will be there hanging out having a good time before kentucky at ole miss if you see me come talk to me if you don't Sorry I missed you. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the picks. Enjoy the money you make off of them this weekend. And as always, y'all stay safe out there.